0: We're continuing our series, Life on Mission, today. And so far, we've looked at actions, these things we need to do if we're going to be on mission. And our mission is the mission that Jesus gave us, to be His witnesses, to tell other people about Him. And what happens sometimes is that we get caught up in thinking that when we meet someone new, that we have to share Jesus with them right away. And sometimes we can slip into this thing where where we kind of view people as as opportunities more than people, and, and we get it ingrained in our heads like if you know Jesus, you have to tell people about Jesus. If you have this great message, you have to share it. And we convince ourselves that within a few minutes of meeting someone we need to tell them about Jesus. And and if we convince ourselves of that it's it's a terrifying thought. Because it's uncomfortable. And, and so we get in that in our heads, and then we don't share it with anyone, especially people we just met, because that just seems weird. But, but we also carry that over and don't really share it with anybody. Now, if you have the opportunity to share Jesus with someone you just met, if that opportunity truly, truly arises, don't, don't pass it up. That's great. Go for it. But what we're talking about through this whole series is this idea of witnessing. It's simply more effective when it takes place in the context of a relationship. And so those actions we've talked about so far are connect and serve. Those are relationship-building actions. You have to connect to people to build relationships. And at some point, serving them, meeting their needs, is going to deepen that relationship. So we need to do that. We need to connect with those who don't know Jesus. We need to be willing to serve them, to meet their needs, to be good neighbors to them. And when we do those things, I believe that the opportunity will arise for us to share Jesus with them. And that word, share, Um, That's our word for this week. That's our action for this week. And there's a quote that I've heard over and over again, um, too many times to count. And it's possible that you've heard it too. And it's almost always attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, who was an early church father from long ago. And the quote is often said this way. And People attribute this to him every time. Supposedly, he said this, Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. It's possible you've heard that before. Um, I've had people who like, use that as kind of their life verse, even though it's not from the Bible. And they say, that's, you know, that's how I want to live. And there's a reason that that little quote is repeated so often. Because it's, a, it's actually a pretty cool concept. It's the idea that if you're truly a follower of Jesus, people should be able to tell without you having to talk about it. They, they should be able to tell before you open your mouth, just by the way that you live, by the way that you function, that you're a Christian. It should be that obvious. Your life should reflect it that well. It's a great concept, a great theory. And beyond that, it's also popular, I believe, because the talking about Jesus thing is the hardest part for a lot of us. And that quote, it kind of lets us off the hook. We say, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use the words, which is basically saying, if I can get away with not having to actually talk to somebody out loud about Jesus, I'm going to do that. And it kind of lets us off the hook. and So we like it because of that too. It's possible that some of you at some point in your life have been a part of a church that believed in and in fact pushed something like door-to-door evangelism. I have, and, and nothing was more terrifying to me than the idea of door-knocking for Jesus. Um, we live in a world today where, where people don't prefer that you don't knock on their door. And so the idea, the idea that there's still people believe that that's the best way to share Jesus, I, I'm not suggesting it never worked. I'm not suggesting that it couldn't still work. But I don't think it's very effective very often, and I'm pretty sure we live in that world where people don't like you knocking on the doors unless your publisher's clearinghouse with a giant check. And what's really interesting is that if you look at scripture, the word witness, this idea that we're talking about, it's almost always used in noun form, not verb. And what those churches would say is we're going witnessing, they they turn it into we're going witnessing. We're going to go knock on doors and tell people about Jesus. But in Scripture, it's a noun. Scripturally, witnessing is not something you do, it's it's something you are, you're a witness. And so if we go back to that quote, first of all, there is no true record that says St. Francis of Assisi ever actually said anything like that. He probably said some wise things, but somewhere along the line, somebody attributed this phrase to him, and it probably wasn't actually him. It's also more than likely that he never would have said anything like that, because at some Point, words become necessary. You can live the way God wants you to live. You can live like Jesus. And you can live that way every day in front of people, in front of the people in your life, in front of the people you encounter. You can do that, and that's great. My guess is that could even affect the people around you. But my guess is that it would affect them in the way that they would also start to live. Better do the right thing, be a good person. But if they never know why you live that way, your reason will never be their reason. And so you can get to this point where you, you live well, but you never talk about Jesus. And they're so like, "Man, I, you're just a good person. I'm going to try to be like you." And and your reason that really is because you follow Jesus is not their reason. Their reason is, man, you know that guy was seems like a pretty good guy. I need to to do some better things. At some point, the words have to come out of your mouth. At some point, you have to tell them. You have to share. Um, Ed Stetzer wrote in an article, and this is great, he was referencing this, this misquote of St. Francis of Assisi. He said this Preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words, is a lot like saying, Feed the hungry, and when necessary, use food. Eventually, you're going to need the words. It doesn't work to say those things. People aren't necessarily going to guess that the reason you act or live a certain way or talk to them a certain way or treat them a certain way is because of Jesus. They're not going to guess that. If you have the peace that God gives or the hope of heaven, people aren't going to necessarily know where you got your peace from. Maybe you're just a really chill person. If you have hope, they're not necessarily going to know where that hope comes from unless you tell them that the peace comes from God, the hope comes from God. So we have to understand that being a witness is not about talking incessantly about Jesus to everyone you meet, but it's also not saying anything, not saying nothing about Jesus to anyone ever. In Romans 10, 13, and 14, it says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in them if they've never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? At some point, The words have to come into play here. It's that simple, and yet we'd rather not talk about it out loud. Tim Harlow, who originated this whole series, he tells the story of a a little, little kid that grew up in church talking to another kid about Jesus. And he goes through this explanation of how to get to heaven, and he says, if you want to go to heaven, you just have to believe in Jesus. This kid's got his head on straight pretty well. And so the other kid says, are you saying all I have to do is follow Jesus and I can go to heaven? The kid says, yeah. So "So if my mom wants to go to heaven, all she has to do is follow Jesus. The other kid says, yeah, and if you don't want her there, just don't tell her. Again, witnessing, this is our one job. And the job is not complete if we never actually say anything about Jesus. It's what we're called to do. We're called to, people, to let people, called to let people know about him, what he did for them, and eventually that's going to require us to speak that out loud, to share that invaluable information. Paul writes in Acts twenty, and at the point in Acts twenty, Paul knows that his life, it's coming to an end soon, and he knows that pretty much everywhere he goes, they're going to throw him in jail. Um, he knows that there are bad things coming. This is this is not the the. Optimistic part of his life. He's optimistic about heaven, but he's not about this life. But here's what he says in Acts 20 24. He says, But my my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Facing death that was going to come at some point, and let's be real, he was very aware that his death was probably going to be painful. He probably wasn't going to get off easy. He still said, my life is worth nothing unless I use it to finish the work that God has called me to do. That's something. It's the one job. It's the most important thing. It's what we're called to do. Philip understood that. In the book of Acts, we meet a guy named Philip. And he gets to be one of the first big-time witnesses of of Jesus for Jesus. He, He really takes this challenge. He really takes this job to heart. This wasn't very long after the church had started Um, on the day of Pentecost, and and there weren't all that many yet who were going from place to place talking about Jesus. And yet here's Philip in Acts 8, beginning verse 4. It says, But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. Now, we talked last week about a story of the Good Samaritan. And in that story, I pointed out how disliked Samaritans were by Jews and vice versa. And yet, here's Philip going to Samaria specifically to talk about Jesus. He goes to the place where it would probably be the most uncomfortable to be a Jewish Jesus follower. And pay attention to what he's doing. He's doing the physical stuff, but he's also preaching, speaking, talking about Jesus. I've heard it phrased this way. His mouth was congruent with his hands. And so he wasn't just going and doing good things and hoping people would figure out why. He was saying all along, here's why I'm able to do this. Here's where the power comes from. Here's what Jesus did. And because of that, people wanted to hear more and more about the message he had for them. And again, that's why relationships are so important to this process, to this mission. If I'm sitting next to someone on a train, or I knock on a random person's door, they have no idea that my life matches my words. But my neighbors do. People that have a relationship, what they do. These people learned that about Philip. And what they saw in him clearly was something real and genuine. One of the keys to being a witness for Jesus is living a life that people want to know more about. So yes, we need to preach the gospel with our lives, but eventually we need to be able to answer the question, you know, what more can you tell me about this? Why do you do this? Why are you like this? And that takes our words. And so we build the relationship, we walk the walk, and then hopefully we have the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus, hopefully. Let's keep going with Philip's story Acts chapter 8. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go down south to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And so first Philip goes where you least expect him to go. He goes to Samaria. And then he runs into a person that no one would expect him to talk to for any reason. This guy was important. He held an important office. He had an important job. He probably had somewhat of an entourage with him. And he was almost certainly unapproachable. You don't just walk up to this kind of a procession. And yet Philip is on mission, so he doesn't miss his opportunity. And that's clear because of what we read next. In verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. And and here it is clearly, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? He, he ran over. He did not hesitate. The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. And the passage of Scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. So we talked about needing to walk the walk and how our actions need to match our words, but from this story, I think we can also learn that timing is very important. One of the issues with door-to-door evangelism, and I'm not trying to harp on door-to-door evangelism, but I just don't think it's our most effective way to reach people. One of the problems with door-to-door evangelism is what are the odds that you're not interrupting someone? Like, what are the odds that you're catching somebody at a time when they're more than willing to stand on their porch and talk to you or even invite you in? It is way more likely that they're watching TV or taking care of their kids or making dinner or doing something that you are most certainly interrupting by coming to their door unannounced. Timing matters. Nothing starts a spiritual conversation more effectively than one party being annoyed at the other. That's that's just, I don't think that's going to work. I don't think anyone sits around the house and thinks, man, I hope someone knocks on my door soon. I've considered a successful day when nobody knocks on my door. And so timing matters. And in this case, the man already had the Scriptures open in front of him. He was reading from Scripture at the time. And so Philip starts right there and tells him the good news of Jesus. Now granted, Philip had an advantage because Scripture is clear to us that the Holy Spirit prompted Philip to go over and talk to this man. And while I'm not sure that we'll hear the audible voice of God on this one, I still believe that God does prompt us in different ways when there are moments we have opportunities to share Jesus with other people. I also believe that God prompts us in different ways to know when it's not a good time to talk to someone about Jesus. But I also believe that good timing has a lot to do with our own observation, our willingness to not sit around and wait for an audible message from God. Ephesians 5, verse 15 reads this way, So so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. God gives us the wisdom we need to live and act and make choices without waiting for a sign or an audible voice from Him. If it seems like good timing, it probably is. If it doesn't, it probably isn't. And I love how Philip handles this conversation with, with the Ethiopian eunuch. He he respects him. He doesn't offend his religious beliefs or his position. He simply takes the Bible and shows him Jesus. You know, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. This verse is very interesting. We don't go to this verse very often, but I like it. He said this. He said, When I am with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. We always read different versions of this, but I, I love the wording there. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Find the common ground and lead from there. And, and for this guy, even though he had so little in common with the Ethiopian unit, they both were studying the scripture on some level. It was a common ground moment. It was a window into this guy. And he goes from there and shares with him. And I love that Philip starts the conversation with a question. I love it. So often we think we have to know exactly what to say or we're afraid to ask a question because that might lead to them asking a question and we might not have the answer. And here's Philip very simply asking the man, do you get what you're reading? He's really just saying, is there anything I can help you understand there? I'm here if you need me kind of thing. Jesus did that a lot. He asked a lot of questions. It's a a simple conversation starter, but it can be so profound. When you ask a question of someone, what you're communicating to them is that you care what they think, that you care what they have to say. It's not I'm trying to sell you something, it's I value something. I want to share that with you. And if the conversation is about Jesus, all the more important to make sure someone knows that they're valued and that they're not just trying to be sold you know, something. You're not trying to sell them Jesus. You're trying to introduce them to Jesus. There's a difference. And so asking questions is a good way to figure out if the conversation even has the potential to take a spiritual turn. Because one question often leads to another, and an exchange becomes a conversation. And even if it never turns spiritual, conversations lead to relationships. And down the road, the door for a spiritual conversation may, in fact, be wide open. A wise man once said that the best evangelistic tools that we've been given are stuck to the sides of our heads, our ears. Philip asked a question, and then he listened. And because of that, he knew where this man was. He was able to lead him to Christ. And down the road, he baptized him, and they came to some water. So often we're so worried about knowing the right thing to say and we don't sit back and take the time to listen. Listen, there may be somebody in your life that you have no idea, no idea, has a, has a spiritual past or, or was a Christian at a different point in their life or grew up in the church. And if you never give them the chance to share that with you, you may be trying to witness to somebody who already knows up to a certain point. And if you're not starting at the right place, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And so we have to be willing to listen to figure out where people are. And I get it. We're much more comfortable talking about other things than talking about spiritual things. We'd rather talk about weather or football or family. But if you spend enough time with someone, eventually there's going to be something that's going to lead you into spiritual conversation and you need to be willing to go down that road. And to make sure that it's that, a conversation. Think about one of the blind men that Jesus healed for just a moment. In John chapter 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. rabbi, his disciples, asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Which is such a flawed way to think, but it's kind of what they believed back then, that if you had some sort of affliction like this, it was because of sin. So Jesus replies, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Which is gross, by the way. I remember this lesson in little kids' Sunday school class. and The idea was just like, really? like Why do you have to do it that way? He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means keep the nasty spit mud on your eyes for a while while you walk to the pool. And so the man went and washed and came back seeing. And his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. Now this is more common than we realize. When Jesus would perform these miracles and he would heal somebody, and it was an obvious physical change there were always people who would try to say, oh no, that's not even the same guy. Like I know you think that's the blind guy and now he can see, it's not even the same guy. I know you think that's the guy that's been laying out here begging, that couldn't walk, but that's not the same guy, it's a different guy. But here's the thing, people were trying to figure out who he was. This moment, this would have been the formerly blind man's chance to avoid the conversation. He could have just let them believe it wasn't him. He could have just walked away. It's the moment when someone says, hey, I hear you're a Christian. Or hey, don't don't you go to church? And we have the choice. Either we walk down the road to a spiritual conversation or we shrug them off. And that was this guy's choice too, but he didn't didn't hesitate. That that story continues with this. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. Notice it says he kept saying, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? he told them, The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. He doesn't try to tell them anything deep or theological about this Jesus that he met. He doesn't overcomplicate things. He simply tells them what it was that Jesus did for him. He was blind, now he can see. Later on, these same people, they ask this man, they say, well, where did Jesus go? We want to talk to him. And he doesn't know, and so he simply tells them he doesn't know. You see, we get so caught up in worrying about what we're going to say and and how we'll answer somebody if they ask us a certain question. If we get into a spiritual conversation with someone, we're afraid we won't win the conversation. That the other person will beat us, which makes very little sense because it's not a competition, but we fear it like it is. We feel fear it like we're going to going to pass or fail in this spiritual conversation. And a lot of times that fear keeps us from even speaking up when we very simply need to be ready and willing to do what the blind man did here. He told a story. And honestly when they asked him a question he didn't know the answer to he said I don't know. We're going to have opportunities to share. It's inevitable. And in those opportunities, we have a choice. To either walk down the road to a spiritual conversation or turn around and go the other way. But all we really have to do is tell our story. What has Jesus done for me? And you know what? If they ask a question we can't answer, I don't know everything. But I can try to find out. I don't know how all the animals fit on the ark. I don't know any of that kind of stuff. I don't know if dinosaurs appeared in the Bible in any way and it's just phrased differently. I don't, I don't know all those questions people try to trip people up with. The odds are somebody's not going to ask you a question like that. The odds are they're going to ask questions that are more like this. What, why, why does this matter? Why, why is this so important to you? Has this actually made a difference in your life? Has anything actually changed in your life as a result of knowing Jesus? Those are the kinds of questions people really want to know, and those are the kinds of questions I'd like to think we'd be able to answer. Again, I think for us it comes down to this. If we're going to be on mission, if we're going to be witnesses, if we're going to do that, we have to be willing to share our story. And that means using words. That means speaking out loud. Let's pray. God, we are are very good at dodging the opportunities you put in our path. We, we might be great at showing love or even serving people. If we see somebody in need, we might be, be great at stopping and helping them, and that, that's fine. But but the opportunities we have to actually have a spiritual conversation, to point people to you, or to point people to your son, those are the those are the ones we, we dodge. We've got to pray that, that our words would match our actions. that our words would be congruent with our hands, that we would give you the glory and be willing to speak your name. God, we don't, we don't want to just live in a way that people wonder why we live the way we live. We want to live in a way that people know it's because of you. So I pray that we'd speak up every chance we get. God, as we move into this time of communion, I pray that you would help us to focus on the cross. Because God, the cross is what this all comes back to, that, that when you sent Jesus to this earth and he went to that cross, that what he did that day on that cross and what he did in that grave when he overcame death was for every single person who ever has lived or ever will live, that no one is outside of that sacrifice. All we have to do is believe accept that you did that for us. And so we want the world to know that. I pray that you'd help us to spread that. Help us to focus as we continue in our service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.